Hello and welcome to the 4D Global Infrastructure Podcast. My name is Dave Whitby from Benelong Funds Management and today I'm joined by one of the founders and principals and who's also the global equity strategist of 4D, Mr. Greg Goodsell. We're here mainly today to speak about 4D's country review process and just jumping ahead a little here, but but really staying on the theme of of today, um, how does Russia actually stack up in the process there? Well, as you said, we're here to talk about the country review process and, and just jump a little bit ahead. So we rank countries green, yellow or red, and red means they're uninvestable for, for various reasons. Um, under our grading system, Russia has been graded red. It's been graded red every year since we started the process of country reviews back to 2015. So basically what that means is that from our perspective, Russia is uninvestable as a portfolio destination for our funds. Um, the principal reason for this, because the, obviously the earlier the reviews earlier predate the current Ukraine invasion, was really the earlier Ukraine invasion when they invaded um, Crimea back in 2014 and then they annexed it out away from uh, Ukraine. Now, in, international sanctions were imposed then and, and they remain in place. They're nothing like what we're seeing today, but they were imposed back in 2014, 2015 um, on Russia as a result of this that aggressive action. And while they're nowhere, as I said, they're nowhere near as extensive as what they were, uh, what they are being on this occasion, um, they clearly indicated unacceptable international behaviour by Russia in that um, action in, in the Crimea. And therefore, we were just not comfortable with investing in Russia. And therefore, they have been read in our um, ranking system since 2015. Thanks for, for clearing that, that up, Greg. And on the country review process, it's always been an integral part of 4D's overall investment process. Um, can you maybe briefly take us through its origins and its overall purpose? So when Sarah and I um, started to put 4D together back in um, 2012, 13, we, we, we wanted to come up with a, an investment process which, which we thought was the best that could be applied in the market. Um, and one of the factors we always wanted to recognise in that investment process was country risk and the countries had risk. And our thinking on this was really guided by what we saw in the GFC, where, you know, someone like Greece went very close to going belly up and very clearly demonstrated that, look, countries have risk. Even though they can print their, in some cases, print their own money, they still have significant risk. So that said, we wanted to formally incorporate country risk assessment into our investment process. Um, make sure that, um, you know, that risk was accommodated. Russia being an example, as we touched on earlier, but every company, basically the way our system works is you can't invest in a, in a stock unless we are first happy with the country from which that stock comes from. Right. And how, how does it actually work? Okay. Well, just as I touched on briefly earlier, we have a, a process where we rank countries using a traffic light system, um, red, yellow, or green. Um, and what we're trying to do with this process, just to step back from it for a second, is what we're trying, we're trying to answer the question is, is this particular country we're looking at an acceptable investment destination for us? That's the question we're looking to answer. And if it's not an acceptable investment destination, then we're not allowed to invest there, which is what we did with Russia. Um, and this question, as I said, must be answered before any specific stock analysis can take place. So just quickly, the four-step process we go through to um, do this is we start off with a preliminary country grade grading, which is based on the S&P country credit rating. 
And we do that just to give us an, a, an overview or an initial sense of what, is it, what are we looking at with this particular country? Is it you know, a strong um, democracy um, with strong rule of law or is it something different? So that, that we just get, get ourselves in the range to know what we're looking for. We then go and look at um, four specific risks in relation to each country, and they are economic risk, financial risk, political risk, and ESGs risk for each individual country that we look at. And based on the review of those four risks, we then rank the countries basically um, red, yellow, or green based on our traffic light system. And what those colour gradings then dictate is they dictate, one, the size of the portfolio holdings can be held in, in those particular colours. So, again, using red or rush red, red countries, for example, we can't hold any stocks in red countries from red countries. Yellow countries, we can hold up to 25% of the portfolio in and green countries potentially can hold all the portfolio in because they're the strongest, most stable countries. So the colour gradings dictate um, portfolio limits, uh, but importantly, they, they integrate, it's integrated into the stock review process because the colour gradings also dictate the market risk premium we use in the stock analysis to do our DCF analysis. So, what, so the, the, the point here is that the, the country analysis, it's not just in isolation, it's actually integrated into the stock um, evaluation by um, its influence on the country market risk premium. Great. Okay. Well, th thanks for going through that, that, Greg. And putting aside the current situation with Russia, can you take us through some examples of where the review process has generated some more interesting country gradings? Sure. Well, we've, over the time we've been doing this, the last five years, we've, we've had a, a number of changes in, in, in rankings. So an example recently was back in 2020 when we downgraded Hong Kong to yellow. Um, and that was on the back of the increasingly um, intervention support to China had to Hong Kong at the time. Now, fortunately, that's eased off a little. But at that time, you know, Hong Kong was we're just a bit unsure. So we took Hong Kong down to yellow, which is still there at this point. Um, Italy, we took to yellow in 2018, and that was really on, on the back of an unstable political environment. And that's not uncommon in Italy. Um, but this was looking particularly fragile at the time. So again, we downgraded Italy from a green to a yellow ranking. Um, the UK was an interesting one. So at, in, in 2019, when Brexit was underway, um, you also had elections looming. And at that point, the um, Jeremy Corbyn, the leader of the, um, the opposition in Britain, he was talking about buying back or nationalising all the utilities in Britain. Um, and so that was a bit of a concern as a potential utility owner. So again, that was a case where we downgraded Britain from a green to a yellow. Now, that was quite a hard call because UK obviously is a very stable working democracy with a great deal of history to it. So, you know, it's a natural, I would describe as a natural green country. But look, events of the day dictated that it, it you know, with just a, a degree of caution was warranted at the time. And so we took it to yellow in 2019. And then we, once all that those uncertainties were worked through, um, we upgraded it back to green in 2020. Just a couple more quickly. Argentina, we took to 20 in 2017. We took to red um, just on rising interest rates. And there was an IMF bailout going on at the time. Um, and just lastly, Philippines, we took to red in 2020 um, when there was, it looked like the government starting to interfere with some of the uh, utility concession deeds and the arrangements um, there. So that, that was, again, a bit unsettling. So we took it to red in 2020. It had been green in 2018 and 2019. Um, and, and just lastly, as I said, Russia has always been red ever since we start, started reviewing it in 2015. Thanks again, Greg. Uh, what are your current 
views and maybe if you've got any comments on inflation as well, which is another current topic that's always in the news at the moment. Sure. Thanks, David. So look, we remain generally optimistic on the recovery, um, on the ongoing global recovery. So the economy grew 3.4% in the December 2021 quarter. This is the Australian economy we're talking about here. And 4.2% in 2021. So they're pretty solid numbers. You know, that's showing a recovery um, is underway. And, and they're not un- uncommon numbers. I mean, the, the growth rate globally is not as strong as it would have been probably pre-COVID, but it's still reasonably solid. Um, the world looks to be moving towards an environment of living with COVID, which is the only way we can really go forward. Um, while much of the COVID stimulus money that was pumped into the global economy is yet to be fully deployed, and particularly in an area that, that we like, is, is infrastructure. So you've got very, very big um, investment plans in infrastructure in the US, the European Union and in India, um, which were announced during COVID. They've, some of them will start coming to effect, but there's still a lot of money to be spent there. So you've still got a lot of stimulus coming through, um, which will help keep GDP growth positive. Um, obviously, the Russia-Ukraine conflict is a significant negative with um, the outcome and its implications still a bit uncertain. But the key economic risk, as you touched on, is inflation. So what we're seeing is central banks are already starting to moving into action on acting on inflation. And overall, we think central banks will just be, be sensible and prudent in how they respond to the, um, the inflation threat. They, uh, I think they all um, carry some good history from the experiences back in the 80s and 70s and 80s when inflation got out of control and, and really was um, very destructive to the global economy. So we think they'll act sensibly. They're already starting to do that. You know, the good thing is, you know, they're not, they're not asleep at the wheel. They, they clearly got plans in place to, um, to move in the event um, inflation continues. And just, I guess, lastly, in the case of infrastructure, um, and how it, its outlook is at the, at the moment. I mean, we are fortunate in having infrastructure and asset class that not only offers inflation protection by virtue of the, the way the, um, um, the, the different types of assets within the asset class, but has underlying investment themes that will be in place for the next 50 years plus. It's just really a fantastic place to be investing in at the moment. And these include, firstly, just the sheer need for global infrastructure investment around the world. And I touched on those a bit earlier where, you know, as during, the, um, during the COVID crisis, you know, the US, the EU and India all came out with huge uh, infrastructure spending plans, which they're good because they see, they, they underpin growth in the asset class for decades to come. So that means the asset class will get bigger, more assets will find their way to the listed market. That's good for us. It's good for investors because it's increased opportunity uh, to invest in, in quality assets. Other themes that you know we always talk about and um, can get a little bit repetitive on are the emerging middle class, especially in Asia. So as people get more wealthy, um, they want they want to drive their car on a nice road. They want to be able to travel, so they want nice airports. But more fundamentally, they just want basics like good water, good clean water supply, and solid power supply. So as and they're all product of the emerging middle class. That's all leads to more. Um, a larger infrastructure investment, which is all good for us and our, our asset class because it creates opportunity um, and it creates fundamentally creates global growth, which is good for the asset class as well. Um, and just, of course, probably the most important of all issues, climate change. Um, you're going to need a huge amount of infrastructure investment to, to drive the climate change because as we build in renewables into the grid, they're all going to have to be connected into the grid um, via, um, in many cases, new infrastructure investment to get that power 
uh, to the to the businesses at homes that need it. So a very positive um, outlook there in terms of climate change and infrastructure investment. So as I said, infrastructure is just a great place to be at the moment because it um, it just necessitates investment in so many places over such a long period of time. I mean, fundamentally, all the things that need to be done just can't be done in the next uh, next few years. They need to be done over a period of time. And that'll create, as I said, it'll create new assets, it'll create new listed assets, and it'll create opportunities for um, investors such as us. Excellent, Greg. Thank you very much. Long infrastructure, everyone. That, that's the uh, lesson there. So, um, well, thank you for your time, Greg. Always great to chat to you. Look forward to speaking with you next time. And thank you very much to our listeners and our four-day clients. Uh, very much appreciate your support. And should you have any queries on or need anything on 4D or anything Benelong related, uh, please contact your relevant account manager. So thanks again and we'll see, we'll speak to you next time. Cheers, bye.